Welcome into the Clap Trap. Brought to you by Ultrasound Productions. Now also playing on 90.7 WKKL. All right, another episode of The Clap Trap, and we are actually going to be starting off today's episode with some golf. I know, that sounds pretty crazy, but in all honesty, with the way that the Celtics have been going and the fact that the Bruins are resting currently, which we'll get into their uh, their second-round opponent, who we have just found out, uh, the Red Sox are going hard right now, but otherwise, I think that the biggest beef and the biggest talking point right now is golf. If you, if you think I'm crazy, then you haven't been following along with the craziness, the craziness that's been golf over the last couple of days to a week here. Um, it's all kind of revolving around the fact that we do finally have the match round two. If you, if you remember, the, the match was a golf tournament or a golf uh, you know, game set up between... It was Tom Brady and Phil Mickelson against Tiger Woods and Peyton Manning. So that received a ton of, uh, you know, credit. It was, uh, you know, during a time where we needed some sports out there with Corona and everything going on. Um, and, and it was great. It, it really lived up to the hype. Brady hit a crazy shot from off the green and, and chipped in. That was that was nuts. Um, there were some other great moments, some decent trash talk going on. Um, but especially between Brady and actually Charles Barkley, who was announcing during it. So that was really fun. But they are doing round two now, and it is featuring Brady again. And this time, uh, Aaron Rodgers will be the other quarterback that will be facing off against. So Brady and Aaron Rodgers, it's uh, Brady and Phil Mickelson on the same team again. And then Aaron Rodgers is being paired up with Bryson DeChambeau. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau is one of the you know uh, bigger names right now in all of golf. Uh, if you don't know about him, he's the guy who put on 40 pounds of muscle all of a sudden, and now he can crank balls up, upwards of, you know, 400 uh, yards or whatever it is. He, he's he's uh, been doing a lot to improve his game. Uh, a lot of people are one way or the other with him. He seems to be, uh, you know, a lot of people think that he's kind of a nerd, but he also tries to be a jock. It's kind of a weird combination there and a golfer and everything like that, um, but with this match coming up, it is going to be held on July 6th. That's now we officially have that. It's going to be played in Montana, in Big Sky, Montana, at a course called Moonlight Basin. And uh, this is going to be an interesting one, I think. The, the Brady's already been going full force on social media, trying to talk you know, trash as much as possible to get it all hyped up, like it's a prize fight or something like that going on, which I'm loving. Uh, and, and, you know, they're going back and forth. You got Phil in the mix. You got Bryson in the mix. And you got Brooks Kepka in the mix as well. And the reason behind Brooks Kepka, Kepka being in the mix is because of the feud, the ongoing beef that he has with Bryson DeChambeau. Um, so it, it's been making the golf world actually very interesting, let alone the fact that the PGA Championship just happened and it was a great battle between Phil Mickelson and and Brooks Kepka, which Phil was able to win it out, being a 50-year-old winning, uh, you know, a major championship in golf. That was pretty crazy. Uh, so you already had that going on. And then add on to that the beef, like I said, between Bryson and Brooks, and you got yourself a little tasty treat of golf uh, drama. I, I, I like it. It's getting golf into the mainstay. I'm even leading off my show with it. I don't care what anyone thinks about that. So, 
let's bring it all back because I do want to get into the the Brady trash talking and everything like that. But I think I need to bring a little context to everything by going over the latest, uh, you know, scenario or debacle that had happened between Brooks and Bryson. I have the clip here that I'm going to play so that you can kind of hear it. Uh, it is a, an inter- interview that Brooks was doing at the time. And, uh, you know, Bryson just happens to be walking basically behind him. And you'll be able to hear what Brooks says. He is very upset about it. So let's play that real quick for you. Golf course was asking a lot from you today, Brooks. What were you able to do well and put up that nice number? Just ball struck my way around this place. Um, didn't putt well, but I don't think many guys are going to putt well with this wind. It's, it's very tough. I don't, like I said, I don't know what other guys have said or... I just found it difficult to read. You know, sometimes, sometimes um, I, lost, I lost my train of thought. Yeah, here now. All right, yeah, we're starting over. <laughs> we're gonna enjoy that at the TV compound. I honestly wouldn't even care. Love it. Love it. Absolutely love it. I can't believe that we actually have a rivalry like this in golf right now that makes me able to talk about this. I love it. I absolutely love it. I'm a big golf guy, but I don't usually bring it to you guys because I know that a lot of people aren't really excited about golf. It's not usually exciting. I mean, hey, maybe when Tiger Woods is involved, then it gets very exciting, but otherwise, it's usually not exciting. So to have some a little bit of drama, a little bit of animosity towards, I mean, if you could see the disgust in Brooks Kepka's face when DeChambeau walks behind him with those cleats or those, uh, those clicking metal uh, spikes in his golf shoes that it, you can actually hear it in the clip there. Um, and, and I suggest looking, uh, looking up the clip because the disgust in his face, if you haven't seen it yet, is just hilarious. So he is very annoyed, very just completely done with Brooks, uh, with Bryson DeChambeau. And I love it. I'm here for it. I think we need more of that in golf. Um, so I, I want, I wanted to get that out there first so that we could kind of break that down. And then we're going to break down also the Brady stuff as well. All right, so Brady stuff, right? So he is getting into it on the social media side of things. I don't know if he's got a team. I don't know if it's all him. I'm assuming that people are at least making the memes for him because he was going, he was firing off memes left and right, it seemed like. But back, back to the, the, the whole, uh, the match uh, trash talking. Like I said before, it has a little bit to do with Bryson DeChambeau and uh, Brooks Kepka and their little rivalry. That made it a little bit sweeter, you know, from the drama side of things, um, which I think is very important when it comes to the sports world because how are you going to keep people's attention if there isn't a little bit of drama, a little bit of hate, a little bit of animosity between some players there. So you had that clip uh, uh, of Brooks getting extremely pissed off about uh, Bryson. Now he has said, I believe, that it's because of the the clicking in the shoes and how it's technically been, uh, you know, taken out of the game of golf to have those uh, metal spikes in the golf shoes, but because Bryson DeChambeau swings so hard, he has to request that he gets to use them because he needs to be planted into the ground better and blah, 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 all this stuff because he's a big nerd. But 
Brooks as just not like this guy for a while now. Uh, he thinks that he's annoying. He thinks that he complains too much. He thinks that the way that he goes about things is is just frustrating overall. Now, I'm not going to say that Brooks Kepka isn't annoying on his own. And a lot of people don't like Brooks because of his attitude and the way he says things. He said things like he doesn't even practice to play golf. He just basically shows up and plays, that kind of stuff there. So he does his own annoying things too. Don't get me wrong. Most golfers, if not all golfers, are actually very annoying people because you know what a sport that is a single solo sport produces? Annoying people. That's just how it ends up being nine times out of ten. I'm not going to say that there aren't people that are good in those sports, but when you're so very me-centric – In sports, it tends to produce the bad things in people. But anyways, um, that that is the reason why kind of Brooks and DeChambeau kind of go back and forth at each other. It's been more from the Brooks side as far as, you know, getting it all fired up and and going here. But it seems like DeChambeau is slowly starting to try and, uh, you know, fire back a little bit, which is great. I need more of that. But anyways, let's get into what the timeline of how Brady's been trying to get this uh, prize fight basically um, ready to go on the social media site. So it all started off with Brady tweeting out uh, that it was going to be two old guys against the Young Bucks and DeChambeau better get used to laying up because Rodgers isn't going for it. Now, that is a tough shot from Brady. That's obviously, uh, you know, talking to the point of, how Rodgers is saying that he's retiring, so he is not going to try and get another ring. Um, you know, so Brady's poking fun at him there. Rodgers obviously already has a ring, so they can, you know, poke fun at each other there, I guess. Uh, but I haven't really seen any type of response from Rodgers. So it was just Brady, Brady just being, you know, very funny and, uh, you know, going at him. And that's exactly what you need to do, like I said, to promote a fight or a match or whatever you're going to do here. So. Brady continued to fire off multiple memes right after that using the picture of Brooks Kepka with his, you know, completely annoyed uh, look on his face from that interview that I was just talking about. He made multiple memes uh, using that, using Aaron Rodgers, blah, 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 all that stuff with that picture. Uh, like I said, once again, Brady's obviously got to have a team for that kind of stuff, but still very funny, very funny stuff. Kepka and DeChambeau ramped up this whole thing, I think, personally, because Kepka decided to jump in on this whole match situation, which he has nothing to do with, really. He has absolutely nothing to do with this whole situation. Uh, he's not playing whatsoever, but he sent out a tweet to Aaron Rodgers saying, sorry, bro, as if to say, hey, sorry that you have to play with Bryson, that you have to listen to him, that you have to you know, hang out with him for four hours or whatever it's going to take for you to get through this match here. Sorry, bro. So, to that, DeChambeau actually finally came back, and I know I sound like I'm a, I'm I'm talking about high school drama or like what they talk about out in Hollywood dramatic stuff, but I don't care. I think it's important because it's getting people to talk about golf. So I'm going to keep talking about it and tweeting and all this nonsense. I think it's funny. DeChambeau retorted by saying, "It's nice to be living in your head rent free." You know, that that's I mean, you can't really, you know, beat that one as far as it goes for for Brooks right there. He he just stomped on you with that one. You can call him a nerd and everything like that, but he's clearly in Kepka's head fully. The fact that kept I mean, that Bryson can't even walk behind you while you're doing an interview without you losing your train of thought. Eh, it's kind of he's kind of all up in your head. He's not wrong. So 
That was a funny one as well. Uh, Phil Mickelson actually also got in on this one as well, saying, I feel like I'm in the middle of something and should step aside. And then he puts in, uh, you know, quotes afterwards, except they want the current PGA champ, which is a tough one because, as I said before, it was Mickelson versus Brooks in the PGA championship that just ended last weekend. And Phil was able to pull out the victory there, even though Brooks was very close at the end there. So. This has been fun. I, I I don't know if anyone else is having as much fun as I am with all of this, but I'm enjoying it. Like I said, as a as a golf fan, I think it's important. I think that the sport needs it a little bit to to stay, you know, relevant, right? Uh, you know, especially nowadays where it's if you're not relevant, if you're not in the news, if you're not producing content, then what are you doing? Because nobody's going to be listening to you. So, I'm happy about this. I will be excited to watch this match here to see what happens once again. I'm hoping that Aaron Rodgers gets involved in some, you know, trash talk or something like that. I know that Brady also said something about something to the effect of, uh, you know, it's him and Phil against uh, a scientist and a Jeopardy host, which was a pretty good line as well. So he's been sending zingers left and right, and I've gotten, uh, you know, crickets from the Aaron Rodgers side of things. So. We'll see if he end up ends up saying anything back to get this going a little bit further, but I've been just loving all this golf drama, and I'm hoping that you will too. All right, so the Red Sox just wrapped up their little two-game set against the Atlanta Braves the other night. Uh, even after a very long rain delay, they were able to pull off the victory 9-5. to um, Nick Pavetta stayed undefeated and is now 6-0 and on, uh, on the year, which is surprising to me, uh, maybe not to other Red Sox fans, but... I certainly didn't think he was going to keep it going. I believe he's, what, now 11-1 and since being acquired by the Red Sox in 2020. So, uh, you know, he's he's pitched really well for the team so far. So uh, even though he did give up some runs in that game early, uh, it was three three runs in the first two innings, he, he only gave up, I believe, one more run throughout the remaining four frames that he pitched. So uh, overall not bad, especially when you get nine runs out of your offense. So good win for us. Uh, even though the Atlanta Braves record doesn't suggest show, so, I think that they are a good team. Uh, and that Ronald Acuna Jr. guy is is one of, if not the best player in the MLB right now. Uh, super, super good at uh, all five categories, if you want to say it that way. But the Red Sox are now at 30-20 and 20 on the season, uh, 10 games over 500, and only .5 or half a game back from the Rays now in the division. They did have the lead, but the Rays went on quite a run to be able to take over the division lead. So it is uh, we are now looking up at them and have a little bit of a lead over the Yankees for second place in the division. So it was a great game. Uh, you know, you had some good home runs from Devers and Renfro. You had Vasquez chipping in with three RBIs. So the bats were really hitting and that was good. Um, the, the, the Braves pitching was not good, uh, whatsoever. And, um, the Red Sox bullpen was able to hold it together, which I was happy about because that has been, uh, at least recently my biggest complaint about the team. Now I know going into the year, I was very down on the, just the pitching overall. The starters have certainly shut me up a little bit with their performance, though I now find that Erod has come back down to earth and seems to be just a pedestrian pitcher. So, you know, who who really is our number one, our ace? Is it, I guess it's Evaldi now. And then you got Erod who has been floundering over the last three or four starts. So we'll see what happens with the starting 
pitching there. I'm still holding out hope that eventually we'll get to see Chris Sale in a Red Sox uniform this year on the mound, and hopefully he'll be able to get into a starting role position. I don't know if that's going to be able to be the case. Um, you know, if if this starting rotation can hold it together going into the playoffs and then you bring Chris Sale back in the bullpen, I think that that would be great for the team. If, if very big if there, the starting rotation can hold it together. So the bats have been good. You know, you're, you've, you're led by J.D. Martinez, Xander Bogarts, and Raphael Devers, who I would, you know, put up against any heart of any lineup in the MLB right now. We have one of, if not the best offenses in the game right now, and it's mainly because of those three players. Uh, Bogarts is having an outstanding year. Uh, Devers just hit another home run. He's been doing really solid. J.D. Martinez is, is, is proving why he's a legitimate talent, and he is going to get a legitimate contract going into next season, whether it's from us or from someone else. So those three guys are really, uh, you know, holding the whole team together, I think, because the bats are taking over in some of these games or most of these games. So that's good there. Then you add in the solid performance that you have from Verdugo, and you really have a solid lineup that you're putting together. Verdugo's been playing out of his mind this year, I would say. Uh, you know, a huge, huge get back from the Mookie Betts trade. If there was anything that you were going to get back from that, that would be of any close to any value to Moogie Betts, which obviously that's not the case, but you're going to get as much as you can out of Verdugo. So that's been nice. Then you have that next level of hitters. You got the Vasquez, the Hernandezes, the Renfros of the world that are, you know, they're, they're pulling their weight. They're not doing the best, but they're not doing the worst. And then if you go all the way down the list, you have players on the, on the roster or, or were on the roster like Franchi Gordero, right? So that is one of the major batting issues that Sox fans have had with the team this year. Why is Franchi Gordero even on the team? Well, he has finally been optioned to the AAA uh, Worcester Red Sox, which is great news because this is the type of player that we can't have in our lineup right now. He's batting 179 uh, with 95 at-bats, which is 10th highest on the team. So he's right outside of the top nine you know, batters on our team for at bats, and he's only batting 179 with one home run. Oh, and also to mention, he's got two errors on the season as well, so he hasn't even been playing good in the field either. So he needed to go because this is the type of lineup, this is the type of season at 30 and 20, completely in the mix, where you can't have a player just trying to figure it out, right? You can't have that guy just getting at bats to try and figure it out. You need to get somebody else in the lineup. You need to have somebody like a Danny Santana, who they just called up, and he's been playing pretty decently good. Or you need to keep like a Michael Chavis out there or something like that. Or maybe I'm still waiting for the arrival or uh, of Jaron Duran, the kid who we've always been hearing about, the kid who is now hitting 278 with seven home runs and four stolen bases and 72 at bats down in AAA. That kid sounds like he's pretty good. When are we going to bring him up? I have many questions for this team. Uh, bats usually are not one of them, but I'm, have a, I'm glad that they got rid of Franchi Gordero. All right, so I wanted to switch gears here and start talking about the Celtics, uh, who are playing tonight, uh, the Game 3 uh, of the series against the Nets, which we are down 2-0 in. It starts at 8.30 tonight in Boston. So this will be the return of Kyrie Irving to the Garden. And uh, a lot has been coming uh, out about that, which we're going to get to in a second. But as I said, we are now down 2-0 in the series after an absolutely horrible display of basketball in Game 2. You kind of knew that the Nets were going to, you know, 
come together and, and really show up in game two because game one, they certainly did not have a great performance. That's just a fact. Uh, they certainly they 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 beat you up in the second half, but that first half was absolutely disgusting for them, and it seemed as though the Celtics could actually be in this series based on that first half. Well, that changed quickly. Uh, we get to game two, and all of a sudden you got you know them hitting on all cylinders. Uh, you got Joe Harris breaking records with the amount of three pointers that he hit in the game. He was on fire, and I had talked about that with Coach Kamire before. Uh, about how, you know, randomly Joe Harris will have a game or Blake Griffin will do something or, you know, it, it's it's not even necessarily the top three for them because those guys are always going to show up, in my opinion. It's And the Celtics may be able to, you know, kind of match some of their intensity some of the time, but it's when that number four, five, six, or seven player on the Nets rotation goes off or has a great game, then you're going to be in trouble. And that's basically what happened with Joe Harris there. Um, you even had uh, Jason Tatum obviously going down with a, an eye injury in the second quarter there. He got poked in the eye and he did not return. So that was when the game was completely over at that point. But you give up 40 points in the first quarter and it's never going to be a good thing. It's never going to be the way that you want to start a game off. Uh, they also gave up 38 in the third quarter. So two quarters where you, you're giving up almost 40 points in that quarter I don't see how you're going to win those games. Uh, unless it's an all-star game where nobody's playing defense, I don't see how you're going to win those games in a real game. So, not good. Not good for the Celtics. I still personally feel that this team can steal either game or four, or game three or four, uh, which, you know, it was more. it would be more likely that they can steal game three tonight, Friday night, 8.30, because of the fact that it is going back to Boston, you have the home crowd support. That's going to bump up the role players. Everybody's going to play a little bit better for the Celtics tonight. I'm hoping that the defense can really step up here. You keep it to a lower scoring game. You stay in the game late, and you never know what could happen. That's how you steal a game against this Nets team. I don't believe that they're going to be able to do anything past that. You get one game in this series at most is what I'm predicting. And I believe that at this point, it, it seems like it's going to come to fruition because this Celtics team just does not have enough. Now, I want to also reiterate from a, a take that I've had before. This team did not have enough even with a healthy Jalen Brown. I, I, I can't make that clear enough. I know that we've I've talked with Coach Kamire before and when he's in here you know, sipping the green juice and everything like that, it's all, you know, everything is on the up and up, but... You got to understand, you got to take a step back as a Celtics fan. You got to realize that in the NBA, it's a team that has more superstars that always wins. That's just how it goes. It's just how it is. And right now, you can say whatever you want about Jalen Brown. I don't personally put him in that superstar category. I do put Jason Tatum in there. So you have one superstar to their three. That's just not going to work. It's never going to work that way. This team needs more. Uh, Danny Age needs to do better. I've been saying it all year. It's unfortunate that it's come to this. I do still hate the fact that Jalen Brown is out with an injury because I think that that is holding this team back from seeing what they really actually are, which is still not even close to being able to beat the best team in the East. So it, it's it's a tough situation here. We, we've, we're going into game three, as hopeful as we can be as Celtics fans. But right now, I think that the thing that the Celtics fans should be worried about the most, unfortunately, is what is going to happen with the future of this team. What will happen next year? What will happen with the roster? 
How are we going to move forward from here? And I think that, you know, the things that have been happening recently, comments that have been made going into this, which I'm going to break down in the next segment here, those could affect the way that players look at coming to play for the Boston Celtics. It's an unfortunate thing, and it could be true. So not only does Danny Ainge already have a lot of work ahead of him just getting the right talent onto this team, but there could be some other speed bumps or major hurdles in his way from getting players here coming up very soon. So is this going to be, you know, a... a changing of the guard in Boston are we going to see our NBA team lose that that shine that that uh, notoriety that I guess it already kind of has with the newer generations of players where it's it, who cares how many championships your team has had in its history who's going to actually go there and want to be up in Boston you know and and hanging out in the cold weather and the crappy crappy seasons that we have here weather wise and uh there's no nightlife here and all of those things and then on top of it you have the stigmatism uh, of of bad bad fan base which we're going to get into like I said a little bit here um and so the future of this team is very up in the air. It's it's upsetting, it's frustrating, and I think that it's going to be a long, hard battle to get to a position where we can feel like we're contenders again because who knows how these players are going to react going into this offseason and who knows what players are going to actually want to come and play for the Celtics starting as soon as next year. Will that happen? Will you need to just continue to hit on all your draft picks or else you're screwed? How is it going to go? Is any free agent going to want to come here? Is any player going to want to be traded and come here? How is it going to go? I don't know. I don't feel great about it right now, just like I don't feel good about my prediction that we're even going to win one game in this series against the Nets here. It doesn't look great right now, but I still think there's hope. It's just a little bit of hope. All right, so we have the Kyrie Irving comments that have just happened uh, going into Game 3 here. He was asked about going back to Boston, as this will be his first time going back with fans and actually playing in a game. Um, he has you know, made excuses or, or all of a sudden had injuries or needed rest time whenever he was coming back to Boston, and there were fans in the building in the past since he's left the team. He did come in and play when there was no fans, and he did his whole, uh, you know, incense burning thing and walked around and, and made sure that there was no bad juju in the building or all that kind of stuff. That was kind of funny, but he has now made some new comments, um, and it has been the talk of everyone, it seems, uh, you know, because it, everyone, um, you know, has has an opinion on the matter, basically, so... We're going to listen to his, what his comments were first, and then I'm going to get into it a little bit here. I know when you were in Boston, you always had such good things to say about the crowds there and the feeling of playing at the Garden. What do you expect now that there's going to actually be people there in the building as opposed to last time? Uh, I mean, it's not my first time being an opponent in, in Boston. Uh, so, you know, I'm just looking forward to competing with my teammates. And, um, you know, hopefully we can just keep it strictly basketball. You know, there's no belligerence or any racism going on, subtle racism and people yelling shit from the crowd. Um, but even if it is, it's, it's part of the nature of the game and we're just going to focus on what we can control. Is it something you've experienced in Boston before? I'm not the only one that could attest to this, but it's just, you know, it, it won't. It, <laughs> it is what it is. Oh, well, <laughs> 
Okay, so those are the comments that he made. Uh, pretty clear about his uh, feelings about the way that the crowd has acted in in its history. Uh, I don't think that that's any news to any Celtics fan or any Boston sports fan. Unfortunately, that is just the stigmatism that is around Boston sports. It's been that way for a long time. Now, I am going to tread lightly on this topic here because it's a very it's a very touchy subject. And I do feel as though there's a lot of people that probably shouldn't be commenting on things. Um And it's certain people that we really need to hear from. So, obviously, Kyrie Irving made his feelings known here. And uh, the the major hate that he's gotten for this comment is coming from a place of him using this to get out of getting booed or to make it seem as though if any negative comments are thrown his way, then it's from a racial standpoint. And he's, he's, he's trying to just use this as some type of shield or something. And I get that. Uh, the the timing of it and and saying it now when he never said it before all of those things are very true um but it doesn't mean that there isn't any truth to the things that he is saying there are incident incidences that have happened over time even as 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 uh recently as a couple of seasons ago when a fan was banned for two seasons for using using racial slurs and uh you know being just a a horrible fan to be honest uh during a warriors game uh, a couple of seasons ago so it there has been documented incidences of horrible fan reactions or 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 them trying to you know, do terrible things, say terrible things, and it's disgusting to me. I do think that there is some of that that still goes on, and even if it's just 1% of the population or 1% of the fan base, it still makes everything worse as far as the, the Celtics organization and, and, and how we look to everyone around the league and the world and everything like that. And I, I'm 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 really sick of it, to be honest. I I know that a lot of people are sick of it. it. It's just it makes no sense to me personally that these types of people need to go out and do these types of things. Why are you even showing up? It, it, it's it's just a, a ridiculous thing. I need you guys to go away. The people who feel that way, we have no interest in keeping you around. I don't understand why you're even showing up to these games and acting like you're a fan of a team and then saying things like this to the other side. Uh, Marcus Smart had great comments about it. He, he uh, you know, kind of backed up what Kyrie was saying. He said, yeah, I've heard it. I've heard a couple of things. It's hard to hear that and then have them support us as players. It's kind of sad and sickening. He's completely right. How can you, in the same breath, be yelling at the other team something so insensitive and so disgusting, and then you're rooting for Marcus Smart and the Celtics in the same breath? I don't understand that in any sense. So those types of people need to be gone, in my opinion. Uh, I, I do believe that it still goes on. It's an unfortunate thing that still goes on. I get why people are mad at Kyrie for doing it the way that he's doing. He has been that type of player for a while. It's very... Uh, it, it seems like a, a, in, a in some ways um, just a move to kind of shield himself from being booed in this situation. I get why that angers people, frustrates people, all of that, because the 99% of people, of fans, and especially the ones that are upset with Kyrie, the reasoning behind them being upset with Kyrie is not anything racial. It is actually because of the fact that he came to this team and then he left in a bad standing, right? He He did things like, 
give up in that Milwaukee Bucks playoff series. He said things to fans like, I'm going to be coming back. If you guys want me, I want to sign with Boston next year. And then he left. All these lies, things like that. That's the main reason why the majority of fans are upset and want to boo you. But now he's coming out and bringing up these things so that it kind of shields him from that. Because then if you look at him or say things in a negative light, then people can comment on it in a different way. It's a very touchy subject. It's a very uh, difficult thing. It's a horrible stigmatism that Boston has. It's a horrible thing that's going on in our country. I, I wish it would end. I wish there was none of it. I, I don't understand the people that do that. It's like they're trying to be those Twitter trolls, but they're doing it in real life. They understand that no real you know, physical consequences or anything bad other than what getting banned from the stadium is going to happen. So they think that they are invincible. They can go out there and they can yell at these players and say whatever they want. That's gross. That's disgusting. You shouldn't be doing that. Why are you around? You should you should uh, be beating the bag out of if it, by all the fans around you when you say that kind of stuff. It's disgusting. So, you know, Marcus Smart has heard it. He's he put it a great way. How can you say things like that and then also support him in the same breath? It makes no sense. He's dealt with. He went on to tell a story of him leaving the garden after a game one night, just trying to help a mother and their child get across the street, and they yelled uh, racial, you know, slurs at him because of that. Disgusting. Uh, a mother with her child. That's gross to me. You're you're teaching the child to act that way too. That makes no sense to me. So there are a lot of bad things that have happened related around sports and it's happened even recently. So I just want people to understand that that does still go on. I do agree that it's a bad way that Kyrie brought this whole thing up. I think it could be done in a much better way. I just don't think that you should also ignore the fact that things like this do go on and we need to stop it. It needs to be stopped. All right. So we are talking about the Celtics currently uh, and in particular, we're talking about the Kyrie Irving comments leading into Game 3 of the Celtics vs. Nets series that will happen tonight in Boston at 8.30. Uh, we have gone over the comments that Kyrie made and what Smart said about that. And, uh, you know, it's it's a really tough time. It's a tough situation uh, for many reasons. And now, you know, as Celtics fans, I believe we should be thinking about what is the impact going to be on our team in the future. Um, does this mean that it's going to be harder for us to get players, t- highly talented players on this roster? If you listen to the comments again that Kyrie makes in that little clip at the very end, you can hear someone on the side of him. And if you watch the video, you see him look over to someone on the side of him uh, who makes a comment. And it sounds like it says the whole world knows when talking about you know, it, what's is that the stigmatism with Boston? Does that really happen in Boston? That kind of thing. And that player is actually Kevin Durant, the player who the Celtics supposedly almost got before he went for the to the Warriors back in the day. The player who his mom is, you know, good friends with Danny Ainge and all this stuff. Uh, the the guy that we thought was going to be paired up with Kyrie possibly in Boston. You know, maybe I I at least had those thoughts at one point, but that fell through. That is the player on the side who was saying the comment of the whole world knows, meaning the whole world knows that that's how Boston is, which is not a good thing. Not a good thing at all if you're talking strictly from a a point of getting the Celtics team to be better in the future. If every player in the league, or if especially these two superstars and personalities in the NBA feel as though the whole world knows that Boston is this way, 
how does that bode well for the Celtics getting players in the future? So it's it's a very bad circumstance. Uh, the, the comments are very damning against the Celtics uh, and against the fan base. And it's all stemming from, you know, certain people, certain horrible individuals doing terrible things. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just unfortunate. But there have been other people who have come out and talked about it, uh, about the comments that were made, about the city itself, all of these different things. The first one that I want to get into is Kendrick Perkins, who has become the, the voice of uh, not the Celtics organization, but the, the Celtics fan, I would say. You know, since he's been working with, I believe, CBS Sports and, and things like that. So he goes on there and tells it how it is, how Perkins feels it is. And so he had this to say. Perk, we have to talk about his comments about coming back to Boston. And hopefully we can just keep it strictly basketball. There's not belligerence or racism going on. Subtle racism. I'm not the only one who can attest to, to this. The whole world knows it. What do you make of that? <laughs> I mean, to be honest, uh, I I know that Celtic fans are some of the best fans in the world. I played there eight and a half years. Um, I lived there for eight and a half years. And me personally, I never dealt with any type of racism while I was living in Boston. That's just me personally. I never dealt with it. I don't, I don't know. I also came back as an opponent of the Celtics. And I played, well, I didn't, I, yeah, I played there with the Oklahoma City Thunder and the Cleveland Cavaliers and still never experienced any racism. So there you go. So that's what Perkins had to say about it. He personally has never experienced it. He thinks that the Boston fans are great. He also goes on in that comment to say that he thinks that Kyrie Irving is just being extra. It's always extra with Kyrie Irving. You can listen to the whole clip if you want to go find it. But. He is saying that he has never experienced it with the Celtics. He was here for over eight years. Uh, he lives here, li lived here, all of that kind of stuff, and never experienced it. He went to other teams and never experienced it. And maybe that's really the case. Uh, I, I think that he's doing it in the right say sense by saying personally, for him, that's how it's, the experience has been because clearly that's not how the experience has been for everyone. That's just a fact. There's been players who have said it. There's been fans that have been banned. There are now, you know, issues with the way that fans are acting uh, all over the place now that we're getting them back into the stadiums and things like that. You had even uh, Tatum commenting on everything going into this uh, about the comments. Uh, he said that, yeah, I saw the comments. And I think, as you can see from the games that have happened yesterday, I don't know if he's talking from experience, not that I know of, but you know, just seeing how the fans are acting in the New York situation with Trey Young and then with obviously the situation with Westbrook. Uh, I love our fans, and I think it's just a certain way that fans should act. Uh, they are still enjoying a game and cheering for everyone, respectively. Uh, but, you know, that's so those are the comments from Tatum there. He wants everyone to be respective. What he's referring to with the New York situation and the Westbrook situation with Washington is in New York. Trey Young was spit on by a fan. That's disgusting. That's un un unacceptable. Who do you think you are as a fan of any fan base? to think that you can just do whatever you want to these players who you're going and paying money to see, so all of a sudden you think think that you have the right to do whatever you want, say whatever you want, throw whatever you want, spit on whoever you want. That's gross. 
uh, in the Westbrook situation, he was leaving the game and a Philadelphia fan dumped popcorn all over him. Real classy, real classy. We know that Philly fans can be extremely classy at all times. I don't get it. Uh, so I, I think that that kind of stuff is is gross. These fans are taking it too far, and they're doing disgusting things uh, without any repercussions, it seems. Uh, you know, because it seems like these fans don't care about being banned from the stadium, so it needs to be more than that. And and by the way, it can't just be like a two-season ban. By it. It, it needs to be, you're gone. You're just gone. There's no, there's no uh, you know, three strikes, you're out kind of thing. You need to just be gone. There's no point in having those types of fans around. What's What do they serve? What purpose do they serve if they're that disgusting and they don't follow the rules in any sense? Be gone. Goodbye. Uh the other comment that I wanted to get to really quickly, Danny Ainge touched on it. He said, I've never heard any of that from any player uh, that I've played with in twenty in the 26 years in Boston that I've been in. Uh, I never heard that from Kyrie before, and I talked to him quite a bit. I think that those comments are a little tasteless, Danny. Maybe just, uh, like I was saying, some people just didn't need to comment on it. I don't think that that was the right move to do that. To say that you haven't heard any of it, so what, are you just you know blocking your ears and not listening? Because it's happened. There's been literally fans uh, banned from the stadium. I just said it. There's no way you didn't know about that, Danny Ainge. So that just comes off you know as a, as a weird comment from him. So I didn't like that. Uh, but the one comment that I did like and you guys are going to probably find this a little crazy. I I found, and I've heard this. I haven't actually been able to find the quote, so I'm still you know wondering if it actually did happen uh, because I'm this much of a hater. But LeBron James actually had a good way of describing it, saying that you know racial slurs or touching is completely unacceptable. You should never be touching or saying those kind of things to players. But I enjoy the booing. I enjoy, uh, and I think that that's a big part of sports is the other team's Fans hate you just because you're coming into their stadium. They they have that, that rivalry nature, all of that kind of thing. I think that that's perfect. You should want fans booing you and being upset with you. That's what makes sports great. Yes, we don't need the racial stuff, and I think that that's disgusting and it should be gone. Yes, we shouldn't have any players being touched or being things thrown at them. That's gross. Get out. I don't want you around. But you can boo all you want. And you should, want, as a player, want fans to boo because the best feeling in the world must be being able to tell 30,000 people to shut up or being able to make 30,000 people shut up, I should say, right? If you're the opposing player and you go and you hit a three, a dagger three that shuts up 20 to 30,000 people with at once, that's got to be one of the best feelings you can have as a professional athlete. So that kind of stuff is great, and I, I compliment LeBron if he did actually say that for saying that kind of a thing because that's exactly how you should look at it. All the gross things need to be gone, but booing and doing that and hating another team as a fan, that's fine. Are you interested in working in a professional studio environment? Whether you're a podcaster, new or old, or a musician just trying to get that professional sound, Ultrasound Production Studio is now available for podcasters, musicians, and everyone in between that are looking to get that great quality and production value that comes from working out of a professional studio. If you're interested in something like that, please visit the website at ultrasoundproductions.com or just email ultrasoundpro at yahoo.com, or even call at 781-956-2426 for more information. All right, we're going to switch it up. We're moving on to the Bruins. Here we go. I am excited. 
<laughs> I know. You guys, I always say that I'm excited. I always get pumped up. It's the Bruins. It's my first favorite sport of my entire life. Hockey is just, to me, it's, it's uh, you know, physically, skill-wise, all these things. It has everything that you could want in a sport, I think, personally. Um, I also think it's the hardest sport to play of any sport in uh, in the world. Not only do you have to learn how to play the sport, but you have to learn how to actually skate before you can start learning how to play the sport. So, uh, you know, so talk to me about that one. Every other sport, at least you know how to walk or run going into it. But hockey is here. We're getting back into it. Round two. It officially starts tomorrow night, Saturday night, 8 a.m. 8 p.m. 8, 8 p.m. Uh, against the Islanders, New York Islanders, who beat up on the Penguins uh, and won that series 4-2. to two. I was kind of hoping that they would go a little bit longer so we'd have a little longer to rest, but that's okay. Um this uh, this team is is a, a tough one, the Islanders. They are a skill-based team. They whooped up on us in the beginning of the season. We did get the better of them at the end of the season, though, and it is kind of funny how they are one of the last teams that we played in the regular season, and now we're playing them in the second round, just like the Capitals. Uh, we finished up the regular season with the Capitals and the Islanders, and now we're playing Capitals, then Islanders. Kind of funny, but it is going to be a great series, I think. Um, I, I think it's going to be another battle, even though I was predicting it to be a battle last series and it wasn't one against the Capitals. I think that game one is going to be uh, an interesting one. Could go very either way, just kind of like the Capitals Bruins game one. Uh, this team is obviously not as physically gifted, the Islanders I'm talking about, as the Capitals. So they're not going to try and beat up on you the same, but they are skill wise gifted. And so they're going to try and beat up on you offensively. Um, they have a, what I think is solid defense, though I believe that they're not ranked very high as far as, uh, you know, defensive pairing rankings go, but I think that they have a solid defense there. Uh, but they've been averaging three and a half goals per game in the playoffs so far uh, when they, they played against the Penguins. So is that going to continue to happen, or is our defense going to be able to hold them up a little bit? Because our defense is definitely better than theirs. Uh, but their forwards are really good. They have some. They have a couple of really good lines and a couple of players who have really, you know, uh, basically gotten the better of the Bruins for years now. So it's going to be a hell of a series. Uh, I'm going to need Tuka Rask to continue to be the 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 early in the playoffs Tuka Rask that can stand on his head still. Yes, I'm still one of those haters against Tuka Rask. I don't care what any of you, any of you Tuka fans say out there. I'm still going to be waiting for him to, you know, come up with nothing in the biggest moment. Uh, but, hey, as long as you get us there and you have another chance to show us that you can actually come through, I'll be happy. So let's get us there. I need Taylor Hall to continue to be the beast that he's been so far and, and you know, my favorite acquisition. I've been wanting this kid on the team for multiple seasons. I shouldn't even say kid. He's about the same age I am. But it is a player that is has solidified our second line, has made us a legitimate contender, especially in our division, which is one of the, the tougher divisions in the entire league right now. I need him to continue to do well. I need Krejci to continue to do well. I think that the second line is going to be a big factor here. I am not as worried about the first line. I know that they have a tendency to disappear in playoff games, but I think that these last couple of games against the Capitals really show that the first line is heating up, and I am I am thinking that they're going to continue to be that way. I think if Pasternak 
you know, finally was able to get the the monkey off the proverbial monkey off the back there by scoring, uh, you know, and then scored again in the next game. So that was great, and he looks great. So we need him to continue to be good because as that as Pasternak goes, the first line goes really. Because yes, you're always going to get production out of Bergeron and Marshan, but if you have Pasternak hitting as well, now you really have something. You have that what everybody loves to call the perfection line really hitting on all cylinders. So that's going to be very important. Um, uh, the the defense, the young defensemen are going to need to step up. I know Lauzon should be back for this series here. He's going to need to play really well, especially if Kevin Miller is out for a while here. It's unfortunate. I, I know going into the playoffs, one of the things that I was saying was a major factor was going to be, is Kevin Miller going to be able to stay healthy? And that was a disgusting hit by the Capitals to get him hurt and in the concussion protocol, but it's an unfortunate fact that he does have injury issues. It's just how it goes. So I love our team, our defense, a lot more when he's on the ice. I hope that he'll be able to get back in. Uh, I don't believe he'll be in for game one. I don't know uh, you know, fully what everything is going on with him currently as far as the injury situation is. It's very hard in hockey. You guys got to remember that it is a sport where they do not give you much information whatsoever when it comes to injuries. So he's remained sidelined. The last time that we got an update of uh, about him was a couple of days ago uh, or four days ago on, on May 24th. Uh, just basically saying that he's still sidelined, still recovering, that kind of a thing there. So hopefully he can get back. Uh, his health is the most important thing regardless. But you should have Lauzon back. You should have uh, Zaboral back at some point here. And so hopefully this team is going to be able to stay healthy, right? This defensive uh, t- core is going to stay healthy. The younger kids are going to be able to step up and we're going to be able to have a good production from that standpoint because their their forwards, man, I talked about them early in the season. If you've been following along with the podcast and the radio show the, the for, for most of the season here, I've definitely talked about the Islanders and how tough I think that they are, especially their, their first couple of lines. Um, so it's going to be a battle. I think it's going to be a battle. I think that it's probably going to be Bruins and six. If I had to put a prediction on it, I think that they're going to take us to six games there, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to to get out of the division and move on in the playoffs here. All right, we're talking about the Bruins right now, and I think that this series against the Islanders, it, it, like I said, I've already been saying it, it's going to be a tough one. And the reasoning behind that, I think, is mainly because of the Islanders' forwards. I feel like they have some really solid lines that are going to be able to compete with our team and, uh, you know, really put, uh, make a tough situation, I should say, out of being the defensive pairings here. So, like I said before, our younger defensemen need to step up. Our older guys are going to need to take advantage of their, uh, you know, skills and 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 at least in like Carlo and McAvoy's cases, take advantage of their size and impose their physical will on the series. That needs to happen. Uh, and, and then you need to be able to move the puck. I need Riley to be good. I need uh, Lauzon to you know step into the fold and be good as well. Um, and and you know this this team can slow down this Islanders offense but I already kind of went into at the beginning of the year the kind of know your division uh segment there just because the division is all you really needed to know up until now right and I do find that it's going to be interesting if if 
if, major if here, we can make it past the Islanders, it will be interesting to go over the other teams with you guys because I got to be honest, I haven't been paying attention to really any other division. M- mo- uh, mainly, I've been only focusing on our division here. I've, I've paid attention to a little bit of the bigger stories. I've seen who's been doing really good around in the other divisions, but I haven't really been fa- paying full attention to everything going on around the league. So if, if, if we do make it past the Islanders, that will be interesting to, to go over the other teams. But right now we have to focus on this Islanders squad, the one that is in front of us, the one that we play tomorrow night starting at 8 o'clock. And that first line of the Islanders, I think, is going to be the biggest issue. Uh, a lot of people also have been commenting on how one of those players could have been on the Bruins if we had just drafted correctly about five years ago, but we are where we are. So the first line for the Islanders is that line of Komarov, Barzal, and Eberly. That line is legit. Barzal is an amazing young talent. That is the guy that I was referring to that the Bruins could have had in the 2015 or 2016 draft. I forget which one the one we we had three picks in that first round in the middle of the first round and basically didn't get anything for it. Um, but uh, you know, it's it, it, we could have had a player like that. That's okay. It's going to be a very tough line. So their first line versus our first line, I would almost, uh, I mean, we have the advantage, I will say it, but it's very close to being a wash right there. Their second line of uh, Nelson Bailey and, uh, I always get this guy's name, Anthony Boyviller. Boyviller? I don't know. Whatever. We're going to hear it enough in the series. So that line is pretty solid, but it's actually their third line that I'm more afraid of than their second line, in all honesty, because they have Kyle Palmieri, and, and last year at the trade deadline, that's one of the players that I wanted to go to uh, go and get from the, uh, the Devils there, but they didn't end up getting him. Uh, you also had Pajot, who has dominated or dominated the beginning of the series against the Bruins this year. Uh, I believe he had three goals in the first two or three games against us this season. He had points in every single game. Pajot has been our kryptonite. Uh, and then Wallstrom is is solid as well on that line. But Palmieri and Pajot are the two guys, I think, that if you can slow down that third line and not allow them to contribute scoring and really take it to you in that sense, that is going to be a big factor in this series from what I am predicting here because – those two guys are really solid, and they've given the Bruins fits over the last couple of seasons. So those are the ones that you need to really watch out for, I personally think. The, fir- the first line versus first line matchup, it's going to be tough, and I don't know how it's going to end up. I would, I would predict that our first line is going to be better at the end of the day. It's that third line that I want to make sure that we're keeping under control because I think that if they get out of control, they could easily you know, do some damage against us. But... The rest of their their team uh, on the offensive side of things, they have some good fourth line guys that are kind of like that, you know, uh, crash and bang kind of guys there. They're going to go in there and throw their body around and try and give you a little bit of that extra momentum, give you a little, you know, burst of energy, that kind of a thing there. But they're not too crazy. Um, so I think that it's really going to come down to the first line and the third line for them. Can can we beat up on Palmieri and Pajot and stop them from being able to score against up us? I think that that'll be a big factor. Then for their defensemen, like I said, they're not ranked very high as far as defensive pairings go, but I do believe that their first line of defensemen are really good. Uh, Pollock and Pelic, I, I don't really even know how to pronounce his name. See, once we get into hockey names, as much as I love the sport, 
it's so hard to pronounce these these players' names. It's it, you, so many syllables and so many different. It, it's just ridiculous sometimes. So bear with me as much as you can, and hopefully maybe somebody gets a laugh out of it. But I am going to butcher these names all the time. It's just going to happen. So those two guys, uh, Pollock and Pleach, are are a legitimate first pairing of defenders, and I think that they are going to be something that we're going to have to talk about throughout the series. There, even though they're not ranked very high. Uh, but, you know, overall, our defensive pairings are much better, but they do have still some solid defense there. So if their offense can show up and their defense is okay, I think they're in a good position there. Now, their goaltending is going to be a question. It's going to be interesting. They have that Ilya Sorokin kid who has, you know, been dominant so far for them through the playoffs, winning all four of his playoff games that he started for the Islanders against the Penguins. But you also have Varlamov, who have always I've always considered a really good goalie, uh, you know, he's the older of the two, and I thought that he has been a solid goaltender, especially even this year against us earlier in the season, and it's just that he, I don't know, first round against the Penguins, you know, he didn't play that great, so they really might be sticking with the Sorokin kid, um, and, and which is, you know, understandable. You got to ride the hot goalie, right? So Sorokin, uh, who's like a 25-year-old kid, is playing much better right now than Varlamov. So you're probably going to see a lot more of him. And I think that Tuca is going to be able to win that goalie matchup again. Uh, you know, I would assume that because this is Tuca early in the playoffs, Tuca. So this is the kind of guy, and he's you know he's obviously heating up off of the last series. He had a couple of iffy goals in the games one and two of the Capitals series, but otherwise he was standing on his head. He won you that final game you know, with the 40 out of 41 saves, all that kind of stuff. He's done great. Is this Sorokin kid going to outplay him, though? I think that's an actual question. We need to watch out for that. We need to have the, the forwards hitting. We need to have the defense actually hitting physically and also just playing well. And then it's it's going to take all three levels to really beat this Islanders team. It is going to be a battle. I fully believe that. You're talking about this uh, you know, Eastern division, which was considered one of, if not the best divisions in the entire league. And now you're at the point where the final two teams of that division are facing off. It's going to be a battle. You know it's going to be a battle. So be prepared. Get ready. Let's go, Bruins. I hope for the best. I'm going to be watching tomorrow night, game one. We're going to try and come out with a good effort to start it off, and we'll see how things go. Now it's time to win you some money with a couple minutes of gambling talk. All right, it's time for everyone's favorite part of the show, where you get to listen along and win yourself some money, because we're obviously just giving out winners all the time here, right, on the Claptrap. So, after last week... Uh, we are actually not doing that great on giving out winners, at least from Cam's side of things. I was three and three in that one, so not that great. Uh, still under 500 for both of our, our records for the entire, uh, since week one of the NFL season of 2020, which is how long I've been doing this for, uh, with this one here, I think I'm going to go 56 straight weeks and then maybe I'll, uh, reset the numbers or something like that. But if you've been following along on social media with Instagram and Twitter, I actually posted Cam and I's complete breakdown of our stats, our gambling stats for each sport 
um, since since like I said, week one of the NFL season. So I uh, was able to you know bring it down to NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, college basketball, and then a, a wild card, which because. Uh, I, I once gave you a boxing pick and Cam gave you an NFL draft pick, but broke down what our individual records are in each of those categories, depending on what sport it is. So if you're really interested in seeing how the guys are at uh, picking between each sport, so you know which takes to or picks to follow and which picks to fade, you should go follow along on the Instagram or the Twitter account at the Claptrap because that'll give you all the information right there. And I'm going to keep posting those little tidbits about our stats and things like that as we continue to grow this. Um, So, yes, please give me a follow along there, and you can get the whole breakdown. But Cam's got some picks. He is sticking to all basketball picks uh, for this week here. And uh, if you are following along on social media, you know what that means, right? You you know what his record is with NBA games. So take that uh, into consideration when you hear these picks here, because we we uh, that's how we know whether to follow or fade him. Okay, so let's get into Cam's picks first, and then we'll do mine right after. Yeah, Cam's best bets of the week. I don't even care what my record was last week. I'm looking forward to bigger and better things here. Going to give you some winners because you know that's what Cam does. Right, we're going to start off with some basketball takes here, and they're all going to be good ones. Let's start with the Hawks. Minus five at home against the Knicks. The Hawks are going to be mad because Trey Young got spit on and that's just not acceptable. The kid's going to probably drop 50 or 60 in this one here. So the Hawks are going to take it. I'm taking minus five Hawks at home against the Knicks. Next pick, I'm sticking to the same game, and I think that it's going to be an over game here. Right now I got the number at 211. So I think Hawks-Knicks is going to go over 211 points because, like I said, Trey Young is going to be shooting the lights out in that place. On to the next pick. I got Celtics plus 8 versus the Nets. My Celtics, they're going to try and come back here, and I think that they can do it. So I'm taking these Celtics plus 8 at home. Sticking with that same game, I got Celtics-Nets under 227 points. I think that this is going to be a defensive battle here, and the Celtics are going to need it to stay in it, so I'm taking the under 227. Next pick I'm going to give you is Clippers minus 2.5 at the Mavericks. The Mavs have been hitting 50% of their threes in this series, and the Clippers only allowed about 35% during the regular season, so that should come back down to earth. That's why I'm taking Clippers minus 2.5 here at the Mavericks. Last pick is going to stay right in that game there as I'm taking Clippers-Mavericks under 219.5 points. As I said, I don't think the Mavs are going to keep hitting at this rate. The Clippers' defense is going to come through, and the game's going to go under 219.5 points. That's Cam's best bets of the week. All right, so those were Cam's picks right there, all NBA picks. 
Like I said, if you want to know what Cam's record is with NBA picks, go and follow the Instagram or the Twitter account at the Claptrap. You can find the whole breakdown of that. But let's move on to my picks now, starting off as well in the NBA. And this is going to be tough because, you know, guys, this if you guys have been listening along, you know how this goes. I am also taking Celtics next Nets under 227. So Cam and I are both taking that pick. You know how that usually goes. It's not usually a good sign. I don't think we've ever hit on a pick where we both made the same exact pick. I could be wrong on that. I would have to go back and look. But I know that at least the last time we did it, it didn't work out well. So I am taking Celtics, Celtics Nets. Oh, man, I, my words right now under 227 points. Uh, I do believe that the Celtics are going to make a little bit of a comeback here. I do think that there's a chance that they could steal a game, especially game three here. And if they're going to do that, it's going to need to be with defense. They're going to need to have the home crowd behind, behind them. Uh, playing out of their minds defensively. And uh, so I think that in order for them to come back and win this game, I think that it's going to have to be an under game here. So that's why I'm taking that under 227 in that game there. Next one I am going with is Bucks minus five at the Heat. Bucks are up 3 0 in the series. And though I think that Jimmy Butler is never out of it and that the, the Heat can always, they're, they're dogs, they'll always fight, everything like that. I do think that there's something to be said in the NBA that if you get to the point that it's late in a game and they have a decent enough lead, they're probably still going to give up. Even a team like the Heat, even a team like the Heat with a Jimmy Butler on it, there's still a chance they could give up. So up 3-0 bucks. I think that if they win this game, they're just going to end up running away with it at the end. That's why I'm going to take the minus five there. Uh, it could still be a close game in which the Bucks. I still have faith in that they can cover that minus five there, but... Uh, I also feel that there's a good chance that it could be a series over in in a game where Giannis or a series where Giannis is trying to get revenge here and he really wants to take it out on them. So Giannis and Middleton will just light it up. So Bucks minus five at the Heat. Next pick is going to be Nuggets Trailblazers under 228 points. Now this series in every single one of these games has been a little bit higher than 230 around there or a little bit higher. So. My whole thought process behind this one here is eventually, at some point in this series, it's going to have to be a lower-scoring battle game. There's going to be one of them at least. This, these teams do have good defenses on both sides. It's just that they have some great scores as well. So I think that this is going to be the game, and 228 points is right around that average of where the series has been at. So I think this is going to be the one that goes under here. I'm taking Nuggets, Trailblazers, under 228 points. Last NBA game I'm going to give you is 76ers minus five and a half at the Wizards. This is another one where I think that at this point, the Wizards, it's, it's going to be a tough one. I know that this is, this is them going home, and if they're going to have a chance to get back in this series, this is going to be the one. Uh, you know, obviously Westbrook is obviously also coming off of being pissed off about that whole getting dumped popcorn on incident and things like that. I just think that this 76ers team is legit. Uh, at least from the standpoint of they'll be able to win a few playoff series here and maybe even get to the conference finals. So they're going to be able to take it to this team. Uh, another situation where they're already down 2-0. The Wizards don't have a ton. They they wasted so much energy, and it was so much to just get into the playoffs that now that you're facing off against the rested 76ers team, it's going to be tough for them. So I'm taking 76ers minus 5.5 at the Wizards in that one. The next game I am going with 
is the Bruins Islanders game. I am taking the under five goals. You guys know that I've said already in this uh, episode that I think that this is going to be a battle. I think it's going to be a situation where the Bruins are going to come out trying to really lock in defensively. Maybe there's a tiny bit of rust offensively for the team because they have been sitting for a little bit. And though watch, I mean, uh, though the Islanders are coming off of a, a series where they scored three and a half average goals per game. I think that they haven't met a defensive team like this yet, obviously only having played the Penguins, and now you're going to see a different type of hockey for them. So game one, it could throw them off a little bit. I think the goalies will be on. I think Tuca will be on. I think Sorokin will be on. I think this game is going to be an under battle, like a 2-1 victory. I'm hoping that it's for the Bruins. I'm praying that's that's what I would predict. Um, But So I'm taking the under five goals in the Bruins-Islanders game one. The last pick I'm going to give you, it's going to be a baseball pick. It's going to be a Red Sox pick. It's going to be an over-under pick. I know that I've been doing only overs with the Red Sox all year. I've been talking about it, how I think that you know they're obviously going to either give up the runs or get the runs in the game to be able to hit that over. But in this game against the Marlins, the opening game of the series against the Marlins, I am taking the under eight and a half runs. I'm going to tell you why, too. I was looking into the stats for it. And in series opening games, the last nine series opening games, the over is only hitting at a two and seven record there. So that means in seven out of the last nine series opening games, the game has gone under and majority of the time it's been way under. I don't know if it's because just you're seeing a new lineup, you're seeing a new team, whatever it is, that's been the run that it's been on right now. So I'm going to go with it. Red Sox Marlins opening game of the series under eight and a half. Here we go. So that'll do it for the picks for this week. Like I said, one last time, I'm going to plug it again. Go and follow the social media pages, the Twitter and Instagram pages at the Claptrap. I did a whole breakdown of all of our gambling stats break, broken down by what sport it is in. So go check that out. It'll help you with fading and following us with all of our picks, and you'll be able to really kind of, uh, you know, rag on us if you see any bad things there, too. Hopefully you give us some good remarks if they're good as well. All right, that'll do it for another episode of The Claptrap. I want to thank everyone for tuning in and uh, listening along to all these crazy takes that I have. I am also up on the radio now on WKKL down the Cape. So if you have 90.7 WKKL on the radio, I am up every Friday from 12 to 2. I also do daily sports updates on the station, so please tune in there. Um, And if you can't get it on the radio station... Uh, You can also go to WKKL.FM to listen online. I would really appreciate the listens there. I'm trying to grow more on the radio, uh, as well as with the podcast, which is up on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you can really find podcasts nowadays. Um, So please look up there. If you look up the Claptrap in any search engine, you will find not only my website, but every way to listen on the podcast as well to every episode. 
I am also up on Instagram and on Twitter. If you didn't hear me plug it enough during the gambling segment, it is at the Claptrap. So please give me a, a follow along and interact with me there. I have been much more active on Twitter recently, trying to engage with everyone and have some fun conversations, right? Um, so I will be back again next week, uh, and maybe we'll be able to get Coach Kamire in here to think uh, hear what he thinks about the Celtics and things like that. Uh, but I will be back again. So thank you again, everyone. I appreciate it, and I hope you have a great rest of your week. See you later. Bye.